Ah, Simon, how's it going? Dave, it's going amazing, mate. It's good to catch back up with you uh, this week and uh, have a chat again about the good, the bad and the ugly. And uh, this week's even better. We've got oh, yeah. We, yeah. Yeah, we've, Simon, you've uh, pulled out all the stops and yeah. you've got, got us a guest. Do you want to... Do you want to introduce who we've got with us? Yeah, I'd love to introduce him to everyone. It's my uh, good friend from uh, years ago, since we were kids, we've known each other. Uh, it's Michael Ballingall, uh, esteemed boxing coach in the professional boxing world, uh, has uh, done some absolutely fantastic work for years and years and years developing boxers. And his two sons are absolutely flying at the moment in uh, their, their respective weight divisions. So I'm not going to steal his thunder because I know he's more than confident and happy to talk about himself. That's of one course. of his best traits. <laughs> and uh, Mike, it's, it's wonderful to have you on, mate, and have a chat. And we really appreciate you being our first guest on the, the Good, the Bad and the Ugly podcast. And uh, we really appreciate you giving up your time to just talk us through, you know, how you got into what you've done in the boxing world. And uh, if you wouldn't mind, just for the people who won't have heard of you just yet, um, if you could give us a little bit of an overview of you as a, a boxing coach, how you got into that, uh, and then we'll get into some questions to delve a little bit deeper. So just give us the uh, the big picture stuff of Michael Ballingall, boxing coach, please. Well, uh, likewise, uh, Dave, Simon, uh, it's a pleasure to be on here and pleasure to be the first of many. Yeah. Um, but hopefully you'll remember this one more than any, more than any exactly. of the others. Exactly. Um, so yeah, I come from a town, Portsmouth. It's uh, it's got quite a lot of uh, boxing, but it's mostly amateur boxing. Um, there hasn't really been a massive professional scene. Um, people have tried over the years to try and get it going, but the likes of London and and places like that have always been uh, the cauldrons. And most lads were always told in Portsmouth that you've got to really win the ABAs. And then you go to London and you turn pro in London. Otherwise, if you don't win the ABA, it's not worth it. But, you know, I tend to prove that wrong, really, because just because you're a good amateur doesn't necessarily mean that you're a good professional boxer. Um, my oldest son has beat six lads that represented GB all in the professional ranks. And uh, you'd have thought he would have been, by watching him, you would have thought that he was uh, a GB fighter or whatever but he didn't get that opportunity. And uh, going on to myself about how I got into it, everything is all about fate and just being lucky enough to meet the right people and stuff. And um, I was an amateur boxer, but uh, I messed about with it a bit, wanted to be a bit of a Jack the Lad and stuff. So I didn't really take it seriously, even though I understood that I had to take it serious. And so I was in and out of it. Um, and uh, I moved to a different area. And at the time, there was a, a gentleman called Tony Oki that was uh, flying the flag for Portsmouth and uh, a, a, a very well-known and, and a famous fighter. Um, and he was a very good amateur and he went on to be a very good professional boxer as well. And uh, I was still training in the boxing gyms and I was still running, but doing it on my own accord. And uh, I used to run past Tony when I first moved to the area and he'd be running the opposite way. And then a couple of days later, just so happens that he runs past me again. And after like about the fourth time, he found out where I lived and he knocked the door and he said, look, cause we always knew each other, but we weren't like close friends, but we always knew each other. 
And um, he said, well, rather than you run the opposite way than me, why don't we just run together? And that's basically how it all started. Um, and I was a very enthusiastic young man. I loved boxing ever since the age of about, I would say, 12 years old, 11, 12 years old. Um, my mum always used to put uh, the boxing on the TV. And I can remember watching the boxing and thinking, do you know what? This is a lot better than football. Because... <laughs> I, I sort of like a selfish sort of way of thinking and I don't want to share the glory with no one. Yeah. You know, in football, you're sharing that glory with 10 other people on the pitch, you know, but also if you lose a couple of matches and then you start winning again, your losses are forgotten about. Yeah. But in boxing, it's more intense. It could destroy someone's mind and destroy, destroy someone's temperament uh, and mental state by taking a loss but also on the same gains, on the same thing, you're actually, uh, when you win, it's 10 times better than sharing the win with 11, 10 other people on a football pitch because that win is you. And everybody's, yeah. everybody's, oh yeah. I remember like, even in the amateurs, when you want to fight and then uh, you go and have a shower and the rest of the boxing's on and you're walking about and everyone's having a beer and everyone's tapping on, good fight, mate, good fight, mate. Oh, brilliant fight, mate. And oh, thanks, cheers, thank you, cheers. cheers. You know, <laughs> but, but it's just the buzz because it's all about you. You're not sharing it with no one. Yeah. And, and wrongly as well, when a fighter has a great win or has a good win, people don't ever come up to the trainer and pat them on the back. Very few. No. It's yeah. all about the fighter. <laughs> Which really yeah. it is, but the trainer has to go through a lot of the crap as well yeah. with that fighter. And uh, people don't actually see. It's funny because when uh, I speak to people sometimes, I bump into people that I might have known years ago or whatever, and they go, oh, the first thing they say to me now is, how's your boy? And the first thing I say is, I've got two boys that are boxing, <laughs> right? and the other one is, 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 is a champion as well. But the thing is, like they all say to me, oh yeah, so when's he fighting next? And I'll say when he's fighting and they go, oh, are you going to go? Are you going to be there? <laughs> it's like, oh, I can't be yeah. able to go away. Yeah, like, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because they don't understand. They don't understand. And a lot of people will remember me like Simon. Um, Simon was one of my best friends and we used to hang about with a group of people. But Simon, as far as conversations were concerned, we clicked together with the conversations of sport and he yes. would always put his view through the football and he would always tell me things like the 10,000 hours of training, you know, oh, yeah. and, and things like that. And, 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 and I like to soak in things. And I like to listen to people because I never went to, uh, I, I never done any like, uh, this type of things that Simon's done to get his credentials. I haven't yeah. done. So I'm all for listening and taking these things in and, and, and sometimes trying to put it into my fighters as well. Because sports are sports. And, and the main thing is we're trying to win. Mm. And you're trying to make people confident. So, you know, me and Simon's always had this talk when we were just two little no ones and I was standing outside your mum's house and you're talking <laughs> from the window for like three or four hours about sports. And I'm yeah. standing in the street. People's walking past going, Are you at, we just had dinner and just had a shower and gone out and you're still talking. <laughs> and so, so we've both gone our own different ways. But we're all, always just as friends. Exactly yeah. the same, but we've got our own different lives. But now we are again joined back yeah. to the middle, and there we go. Yeah. But um, but that's but what yeah. I would say, Bell. I think you've always been a student of boxing because I used to go yeah. around your house and you'd have videos on, 
and mm. you'd be studying it. So mm. there's there's different ways for people to learn and deliver. I went down the more formal route of coach education, but mm. you've done it more experiential. You've done it through actually be on the ground, mm. watch videos, put things into practice, work mm. with the lads, get feedback. Mm. And mm. then you've started to shape the way that your boxers would box. Because I would say when I watch your boys box, mm. they box in a certain way. It's stylish, isn't it? You want to, I think you want stylish boxers. Uh, you can correct me there. You know, you can yeah. say, but for me, that passion, you said it started at 12. It's a, it's a bit like, okay, when did it really start to formulate for you that, you know what, I, I am deeply interested in this. I am passionate about it. And this is how I want to develop boxers. Because I think you've definitely got a philosophy or uh, a method uh, about how you, uh, produce boxes so give us a bit of an insight into that background that passion um that that philosophy that you've created right so i i don't i don't really believe that uh you can completely change a fighter so fighters come to me my sons are different because they've been with me since they were kids and when i yeah. when i was boxing i was like a flash airy I love the Sugar Ray. If you say Marvin Adler and Sugar Ray, I'm Sugar Ray every day. The footwork, the hand speed, the flash combinations, the movement, the charismaticness, the whole thing, the feints, the tricks, you yeah. know. Where, but that's just me. And I think when we have children, whether it's good or it's bad, that rubs off your, 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 your personality, rubs off on your children. And so my kids have seen me do that and I've sparred with them when, when they were younger and, you know, put the videos on and boom, 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 boom. And it just so happens that they are that particular, they've got different styles, but the same thing, they're both flash. Yeah. So, so, but like, let me tell you this, I learned a long, so what we haven't spoke about is the mentors. Mm. Everybody has to have a mentor. The first fighter in the world had a mentor and the second fighter in the world had a mentor that was him. When you look at Muhammad Ali, his mentor was Sugar, uh, Sugar Ray Robinson. When you look at Muhammad Ali, Sugar Ray Leonard's mentor was Muhammad Ali. And it yeah. goes on and on and on and on and on. Mm. So and I had mentors. I had people that I, that I learned from. Lucky enough, when I was younger, I had a lot of spare time on my hands. So I could get in the car and I could drive to London and spend a couple of days in London at a gym, go to the East End, maybe go down to Deptford and, uh, or... or, uh, or uh, um, uh, oh, the, the old Emmy Cooper's gym and stuff. I had I had time I could do that. So when you're there, you're listening and you're learning. And all I was doing, I was a spit bucket man for seven years, maybe a little bit more than that for, uh, on the TV and that. Uh, Frank Maloney, um, a lot of the big, a uh, lot of the big teams I was in. So you get to listen to the corner teams, and sometimes you get sometimes you get like coaches that are not not they're stubborn so they've got a yeah. plan yeah and even when they see the fighters failing with the plan they can't turn around and go right i've got that wrong let's do this but so, i have been with trainers that's gone i've got that wrong let's try this okay you know, and um and the who were those ones who, were yeah, those who, ones? who, who yeah. had that impact on you at an early at, at the start there i suppose so the first very, very, very first um, person that I ever had anything to do with in professional boxing was Denny Mancini. Right. Denny Mancini was a very well-respected uh, gentleman. He used to do cuts and, and things like that. Um, but I used to go down to the shop in Beak Street. It used to be the Longsdale shop. 
and I was get on the train and travel all the way through when I was boxing and uh and Denny and Ruben very nice people and uh, I had a friend that wanted to turn professional and I went to Denny and uh and Denny told me to come to the Elephant and Castle bring the bloke with me and uh but unfortunately fate happened and um Denny introduced me to Dean Powell but Dean Powell had a fighter that was on and the fighter got injured it was Patrick Mullins he had to be taken to hospital so uh we didn't get to speak to didn't get to have the meeting with Dean Powell yeah. and um so we bumped into somebody else and uh Chris Senegar was there and uh, I didn't really know who Chris Senegar was and um uh, then we were invited down to Bristol to Chris Senegar's gym and he had the likes of like Glenn Catley, uh, Dean Francis, great fighter, rest in peace, Dean Francis. Um, and uh, he had a good team of lads on the Western Western uh, Western counties. And my friend couldn't drive, so to drive him down and then he'd be sparring people and this, that and the other. And that was the first time when I started to get to notice like name fighters and watch real quality sparring and watch the way they train and then what happened after that is um, when I got with Tony Oakey, um, he was being trained by Ronnie Davis in Brighton. Yeah. So then I started going to Brighton with Tony every other day. We were going down to Brighton, uh, talking to Ronnie, and then we'd go off with Ronnie and Ronnie would explain things to me and explain to me, to me what he wanted me to do with Tony. And so it went like that. And um, I was in it a little bit of the deep end because I wasn't really that... Uh, confident in myself because I'd only just been started learning. Uh, but nonetheless, I was pushed in. The first ever corner I, I, I was in was Tony Oakey v Matthew Barney for the WBO world title live on Sky Sports. Wow. And I remember okay. I was doing, I was doing pads with Tony and then uh, Matthew Barney was doing pads with, uh, oh, I can't remember his name, a uh, real well-known uh, bloke of the time. And uh, Mike McCallum, one of the greatest Jamaican fighters of all time was standing there watching. And it was yeah. like, pressure, pressure, pressure. But like, um, you know, you soon But that get... deep end, did you sink or swim? Obviously, you're, you're still in it. So what yeah, did that well, feel? Well, know? the thing is, after that, uh, Frank Maloney went off on his own because he was joined with Sports Network, Frank Warren. They split uh, back onto their own separate entities. And uh, they asked me to be the house second for the corners. And so I ended up being a house second for seven years. So I was in the corner of all the all the the the, the great teams of that time, you yeah, know. Yeah. So that's where all of a sudden it all just started to come through, and uh, I started to learn more and get confident. And it was like on a weekend it'd be like a European title, uh, two British title fights in the Commonwealth. You know, it's nothing. And um and so it became a. I'm missing out a lot of people here. I've got to say big massive shout out to Al Smith because Al Smith taught me a lot of things to do with boxing, but actually physically taught me rather than yeah, sitting there talking yeah. about it. Uh, Al is, is a box of tricks. And, I, and why I gelled with Al Smith is because he's got the iBox gym now. So he's got people like Dennis McCann and, and he's always had good fighters, but he's got a real strong team now. And But Al would move around. Everyone would be gone or we'd be there before everyone else. And Al would go, put the gloves on. And then we'd move around. He'd talk to me and he'd flick shots from funny angles and catch me with them. And then I'll try and flick one back. And I think sometimes when you're actually moving about with someone and you're talking to each other and someone's telling you, you can actually get it better when you're actually doing the movement. Yeah. And um, 
sometimes it's very difficult to tell someone what to do when you've got a cup of tea in your hand <laughs> and tell them what to do. <laughs> but, where, but when you're in the ring and you're actually flicking the shot and you're getting them to flick the shot back and you're flicking the shot, you know, they can, they can quite get it. But what it is, is going back to my, my sons, they're, the, they're similar to me. So they've, they've been brought up with me, but the rest of the fighters that I've had haven't. So when they've came to me from the amateurs, the best thing that you can do is to look at the fighter, watch them, understand about them, understand what they can and they can't do, and then try to alter what they can do, but don't change them. Because if you change them too much, then it's messing everything up. They're not going to perform properly. So if, you, if you've got a lad that comes forward naturally, then you and it, just work on that, you know? Yeah. I don't ever look at a fighter and think, right, you're, everybody's going to be exactly the same. I've been to different gyms, and, and let, let's face it, I'm a product of a 50-50. So I see things 50-50. Everything yeah. is like, you know, I don't see it the same way. I can always see both sides of an argument. And I think sometimes that's the best way. So that's why I don't get involved in many arguments. But, like, the thing is, if you've got a strong come-forward, short, dumpy fighter and you've got a long, rangy, athletic-type guy, then obviously he's not going to be very good at going on the back foot, this little short, dumpy lad. So, like, for instance, I had Floyd Moore, and I worked a, many years behind the scenes with Tony Oki. Um, I, I wasn't the name, so the, t the TV doesn't mention anything in that, but everybody was there knows. Everybody who was there in them years knows who was there. You know what I mean? They know yeah. what my role was. And um, he was a short guy with a good, a big engine, solid set of legs on him, and he could work in the gym and in the ring as well. And so I got to learn. So it's not like I'm always with athletic guys and back foot dancers and Sugar Ray Robinsons. You know, I've worked with come forward guys. I had a lad called Floyd Moore. He won two Southern area titles with me. And uh, and he was literally, um, he wasn't a very good amateur at all. He had a 50-50 record. And uh, and I helped turn him around. And, but really, all I can do is help and advise. It's down to the individual person themselves to have that inner strength to better go, right, I'm going to do it and I'm going to stick to it and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to work through it. And uh, it's all right, us trainers telling people what to do and then, you know, getting a superstar image and a halo around us. But at the end of the day, we're not the ones getting in that ring and sacrificing it. Them fighters, all we're doing is nurturing them and giving them the ideas and, and helping them through, you know. So mm. that's the difference. But you've highlighted there that you were a Jack the Lad. So where does the drive come to focus on putting those hours in? Because you've done the long yards in relation to being in and around gyms, going up to places, being a student of it, not getting paid, you know, all the time as well as you yeah. should have done or getting yeah. recognised. So yeah. where does that sort of drive to, 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 to stick with it? Because a lot of people probably would have They'd thrown the towel away, in. Yeah. Yeah. So what, where did your sort of drive to just stick with that and, and really follow it through? Right. First of all, it's something that I really hated when I was a kid and I've detested it. But the discipline that I had when I was a child, that's right. the first thing. And when I look at it as an adult now, I think, OK, maybe some of it might have been a bit harsh, but like, I can see what, you know, I can see when you look at it from our age and our point of view, you can see the people that didn't have that and see what they're doing now, then it tells you a little bit, you know, that's my opinion anyway. I can only go from what I see in my, in my eyes, in my, my eyes sort of thing. But like the other bit is I had a passion for boxing. And so sometimes 
I'm a human being and everything's all about boxing. So every anyone that's close to me that's not really into boxing will get bored and want to go somewhere else and leave me, yeah. that sort of thing. Which yeah. does happen. But like the thing is, sometimes I'm sick of it. Right. But then what happens is the fighter f- fights, you train the fighter, you work with them, you make a set of strategy for the opponent, you get in the ring and it's like, this is it now. This, we can't do anything more. This is it. The only thing I can do now is work that corner with my mouth and, and, and just, you know, and just work for the minute of each round and let's see what's going on. Give instructions and hopefully it works. So there's a lot of anxiety when you get in, into there. Mm. But like when the fight's over, I just want to drive home, go to bed and go to sleep. Right. And a lot of these fighters, when they're in a real fight, all they want to do is maybe have a bit of a pizza, go home, <laughs> go to sleep, maybe party the next day. But it's just the adrenaline, the whole, everything's just draining, it's finished. And it's like your brain wants to shut off. But what happens is the fighter goes on holiday with his missus, maybe his kids. And then all of a sudden, I've got another fight that's got a fight date. So we've got to start all over again. Right. We don't really get that. from 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 the way that I've I'm not I haven't had any cherries being put in my mouth and stuff like that. Yeah, I've had to build these fighters from nothing. A lot of these, um, a lot of the big promoters, they have their own trainers. So you get a lad that's an Olympian or, or he's a, a GB fighter. They're not going to get told to come with me. They're going to get told to go with the gym where it's sort of the superstars in it. Right. So. so I've got the hardest and there's loads of people like me that have got like the harder end of the, the, the stick where, okay, let's say for instance, I've got two fighters at the moment that are are known in England. Mm. One of them's known in the world and they happen to be my sons. So common sense would say that if you're going to go to a gym that hasn't got that many fighters in and the, the trainer's only got, two fighters that are at that certain level and you yeah. are a certain level that it makes sense to go, you know, uh, Sonny Edwards, he done exactly the right thing. He, instead of going to like a famous gym with 15 top fighters, you're not going to get that individual help. So he yeah. went to a, a gym with a, a coach in Sheffield and he's got a handful of fighters. He might have more fighters now. I don't know, but at the time he only had a handful of fighters. And so he's, Sonny Edwards gets that individual coaching and he doesn't have to share it with like 15 other fighters, you know? And so sometimes rather than following the lead, following the lead and being like sheep, yeah, you know, he's looked at it from a different perspective and he thought, hang on a minute, let's, let's do it this way. And it's worked for him. He's world champion and, uh, and a very good, probably, probably the most skillful fighter in England today at this moment. So uh, it does work, but, well, if I bring you back to it, the, the, the question about your passion, your drive, because you've had setbacks, like you say, it is, mm. it's been a brutal, because brute, boxing is brutal, isn't it? You know, to be honest, well, especially mm. when you haven't got those people who are backing you as well as others. Do you know mm. what I mean? You've mm. had to you scrap your way through. Mm. Now, at times, that's got to have been uh, a real challenge, you know, something that's difficult. So, you know, using the pod, the good, the bad and the ugly. You know, mm. what What would you say has been the, the biggest challenge or the bad elements of it that you've you've had to face and overcome, I suppose? Yeah. You know, how have you done that? What, what's helped you achieve that? Passion and drive. 
Um, like, so one of the biggest things in someone from my point of view that I'm not a full time, I don't get paid full time through boxing. Mm. I've got to work. So it's juggling the work, taking fighters away, sparring. And, and and obviously when you get fights get to a certain level they need to go abroad for training and stuff like that as well and i need to go with them so it's getting time off work i'm losing money but it's the passion you know people of our ex-partners have said to me before that you you're a waste of time you're a waste of space you're ch- chasing a dream <laughs> listen you're chasing yeah. a dream that is never going to happen your boys ain't never going to go nowhere this that and the yeah. other and but i carried on chasing that dream and and, and it worked so do you think you could that. describe that passion? Is there yeah. a way you can bring that to life for people? Because passion is a word, but actually for you, you know, what does it look and feel like? Because as you said, you're facing challenges there with partners saying, you know, um, do you want to get in? You're not going to go anywhere, being quite negative. Yeah. And you've got to, you know, overcome that. You've got people looking up to you, looking for inspiration. The thing you is, know. when people are being negative, they're not, they're not a part of, what happens in the gym they might know me for through lot through like living together but they don't know what's going on in the gym and my job is to feed positivity into people so then when you come back and you've got someone talking negative to me it's just like right okay you crack on you can say whatever you like and it's quite sad it's gonna make me feel sad but yeah you go and do what you gotta do because i've got to go and do no matter what bad things have happened to me in my life i still have to go to that gym the next day and train them fighters no matter when i feel like crying my eyes out i'm still going to that gym it keeps me sane do you know what i mean so it's therapy for for human beings whether it be from a training point of view or from the actual athletic the athlete's point of view it's it's exactly the the same thing it's like it's it's curing you mentally curing you so the ugly things in boxing to me is um the politics and not you fight and knowing you've got good fighters and you they're not getting the opportunity and you keep being fed promises all the time and the promises is just like that's all you've got. And then all of a sudden it doesn't happen again. And it, you feel down and it, you just, you feel down, but you've got to go and tell your fighter that's feeling down, listen, and feed him positivity when you're not feeling positive yourself. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? But like the, the, the end of it, the end of the game is we've had all those setbacks and then we've had the dreams. And so from a young trainer and from a young boy, uh, being at the top level in boxing or being near the top level, whatever you want to say, but higher than most, let's say Hmm. the passion is when you've reached a certain level and you step back and you look at it and you think, how did this is everything I've, I've moaned and everything I've scraped through life to get in boxing. And it's actually happened, you know, I've talked it, I've been miserable, I've moaned, I've been let down, we've been let down, things hasn't happened, promises and promises. Because boxers that get, every boxer has to have a manager, right? And so every manager has to have a sales pitch to get that lad to sign with them. Mm -hmm. Now, there's probably only like three or four managers that actually say they can get you something and you're gonna get it. The rest are just talking pure bollocks. And so, well, let's say there's five or six <laughs> and the rest of them talking pure bollocks. But there's a little element where you're desperate, you hang on to that bit of bollocks because you've got nothing else. Do you know what I mean? And sometimes you have to go by your own intuition, whether or not this is working or not. And do we need to try something else? 
And is this going to work or not? And do we need to try something else? And like, at the end of the day, I think that everybody that has helped me with my fighters, I have got nothing but thanks and respect for, because if it wasn't for them, we wouldn't have got to the next stage and the next stage and the next stage and the next stage. But it is, it's not like you see in the Rocky films where Rocky's having a fight, he gets a lucky win. Next thing you know, he's getting another one. Then he's getting a world title fight. I think the other day, that Creed film, the bloke come out of prison, never had a pro fight and then bought the world title. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you've got to stop them films now you've got just got to stop them films happening because that's like absolutely terrible but um it's yeah. disneyland stuff that sort of yeah thing, yeah, yeah. I, yeah on the subject of absolute bollocks and disneyland is there an element though like you're obviously saying like with with your boxers got managers but is there an element of your shall we say the job you're doing do you have to shield your boxers from some of that bollocks completely? Or do you know what I mean? Do you have to keep their spirits up? So what, what I do, right? So a lot of managers, like you could be a boxing manager and live in Portsmouth, but you're managing lads in Sheffield, Norwich, Nottingham, Manchester, and probably abroad, right? Mm. But to me, the more managers you've got, the more fighters that you've got, the less you can give the time to, to manage the fighters properly. It's like a man that's got 20 kids. You can't yeah. give, or a man that's got 20 wives. You can't yeah. give them all this, you know. And so with me, I, I'm a trainer manager. So the lads that I see every day in the gym, I'm managing. So every day when something happens, I can tell them this is happening, that's happening. When they come to me, by the time the first year's finished, they understand the ins and outs of how everything works. So they can't be fooled. This is what, like, since I've been managing fighters, I've probably had about maybe 30 fighters since I've started. And I've only had two fighters leave me. Two. Right. And I wasn't really that bothered when they went. Right. And everybody else has stayed with me because I tell them the truth. I tell them how mm. it works how this works, what this is, what that role is, what he's going to do, what, how much money you're going to get back, what happens if you don't sell enough tickets, what happens if you lose a couple of fights, and then, like, you know, even even to do with the politics of, like, bringing fighters from abroad to fight and the costs and everything, yes. all my, everything's all transparent with my boxers. So they understand. So they feel that they're learning to be managers themselves, you right. know? Rather than like, oh, I don't know what's happening here. I sold some tickets, but I don't know how much money I'm getting. And like, oh, I don't know who I'm fighting. I was told the bloke was a Southpaw, but I don't really know much about him. But they know everything because I tell them everything. So they're all clued up. So I imagine those... they appreciate that, don't they? Sorry, Dave. I think so. I what, so. I was, <laughs> what I was going to say was with those two boxers, obviously, that have left you, yeah. um, where you're building, you know, a relationship with your boxers as you're working with them, things like that, where obviously you said you weren't too bothered when those two left, but is there not like some sort of, I, I don't know, like you've, you've invested so much, you know, that passion, the emotion and things like that. Is there like a. Simon knows, Simon knows. Simon knows. So what happens is a boxer comes to the gym as a blank canvas. I don't know much about him. The yeah. first thing I'll do is ask, 
their old coach, their amateur coach, what's he about? What's he like? And they'll, you know, but then sometimes the coaches could go, oh, he's this, that, and the other, because he's pissed them off. So we're going to say so. So most of it's down to me to work out. So things like punctuality, turning up with all your gear, uh, not moaning when you're given a task, uh, extracurricular activities that's not going to be in the gym, like going for runs and all that lot. If they ain't turning up for the run, they've got an excuse. They've got stories all the time, uh, injuries that we can't actually see. You know that that's a good one, isn't it? Yeah, got twins here and got twins there. You know, because to me, a fighter's got to be an idiot if he comes to my gym and thinks that he can pull the wool over and bullshit his way through. Because we're analysing myself and the other coach are totally analysing everyone all the time. When we're driving home and, and he's in his car and I'm in my car, we're talking about what do you reckon to that? Do you reckon to this? Do you reckon to that? We can work it out. So because I don't want to waste my time. I've got so many grey hairs in my head. Simon knew me when I had thick dreadlocks, yeah. dreadlocks, you know. And like the thing is, we're getting older and I don't yeah. want to waste my time. Whereas at the beginning, I'd put up with the shit. Now you can see the signs of a fighter that's starting to give you shit. And it's a matter of time where it's like, we'll just fuck him off in a minute or he's going to fuck off, but great. He's gone anyway. So I don't need that. Yeah. Because the problem that there is, is I have a couple of fighters. I have three fighters in my gym, maybe four fighters in my gym that are like monks. They, hmm. and they're the same as my two sons. So they train exactly the same and they get the work ethic off them. And they understand that in order to be like that, I have to, I have to copy that work ethic and match that work ethic, and anybody else that can't do it and is using excuses, they're not actually understanding. But they're just slowly going to be the weakest link, and it's gone. Yeah. Because I'd rather have seven people in my gym than have seventeen people in my gym, because it just becomes too hectic, and 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 you're trying, you're training crumbs. We're just looking and, for crumbs. I don't want crumbs. And I imagine and they will kill the vibe if you uh, yeah. let them stay there too long uh, that you're creating, if they bring their negativity to that they, gym or not. No, their, their vibe will get killed because right. I've got strong personalities in the gym that have got very strict ways. And if they don't, if they see other boxers not doing it right, they'll have a go at them in the middle of the, come on, come on, you know, like stuff like this and, and put them right. Bollocks, that's bollocks. No, no, no. And in the end, someone that's weak and is, is just a game player would just be, oh, fuck that. And they're making an excuse to not, yeah. you know what I mean? So yeah. I don't even need to, I do do it, but I don't need to because the two boys are like that anyway. <laughs> they're just, you know what I mean? It's like, it's either be like that or don't be like that. Have you ever had, I suppose, this, the situation where someone has got, shall we say, the work ethic, all those good characteristics you've just mentioned, but actually say ability is what's letting them down? Have you ever had to have that situation well, where you have that let talk? Say, let me tell you this, yeah? I love that type of person. I love that type of person. Like, you don't have to be the most skillful person in the world, but if you've got that heart and the work ethic, I take my hat off to you because we can still put things into that whether it, it happens or not is a different thing, but I don't mind that. I don't mind yeah. putting my time into someone that's just, right, I'll keep trying, Michael, keep trying. And, I, I, you know, it's all it all goes down to the word that people started using a few years ago is boxing IQ and, right. and, 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 like, being able to process data, you know. When, when you're watching something 
and it's like you're being told something or you're watching a movement of something that you quite like and then you get in the ring and you you can put, perform and pull that off that's all about your boxing iq that and mm. and being able to process data really well and not everybody can do it everybody's got their own levels of of uh of iq and that those levels of iq will only get everyone to the certain part but all I'm interested in is getting everyone to their maximum, what they can actually do, regardless of IQ. But in an ideal world, if someone told me to pick, I would love someone with a great work ethic, uh, a big heart, and a, a great a 140 Mensa plus IQ in boxing, yeah. <laughs> I suppose, it, let, let's imagine Simon has all of that. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> like, if... if no, joking. But if say if we took Simon's example, he's seventeen. Um, he's the good work ethic. Um, you know, he's got the right attitude on that front. What but, seventeen? Yeah, mean. yeah. No, that's what I mean. You've got to, you've got to suspend your uh, belief in this one. Um, yeah. But if he did, if he wasn't the best boxer, like what kind of level could you do you think a, someone like that could go in boxing? Are we saying they could have a good amateur career or could they go pro or like, you know, with your experience, what, what have you seen or what, what, you know, how far could we take this imaginary right, Simon? Right. Right. <laughs> right. It's like people, it's all about opinions. Boxing's all about opinions. A lot of subjects is all about is opinionative. So one person could say one thing, one person could say, say another, but I'll say this. You never know, right? You never know. As long as they're turning up at the gym, they're putting the work in from the age of 17 upwards, you never know. I'll tell you a story. Tony Oakey was probably one of the great, well, he is arguably joint, I'm not going to say, but he is a legend in this area, right? And um, he set the flag. He set the standard for Ports of Boxing by far, by far. When he was 12 years old, he was unbeaten in six fights and they were all away. Then he boxed in a local uh, workman's club that ran the corner and his mum and his aunties were all there. And he told me that he absolutely shit himself, right? And when he walked to the ring, he was petrified because his family was watching. Mm -hmm. And he lasted two rounds and he stopped, started crying and puked up and they'd stopped the fight. Mm. then people would say that he was chicken-hearted and he's not going anywhere. He's chicken-hearted and he's not going anywhere. But what I say is, to a 12-year-old kid, you know, when you're 12 years old, to being 25 years old, there's a lot of things. Your mind's still developing. Things are scary to you. you you're not yeah. getting used to environments and stuff yet. So you can't write someone off. Whether you be a 12-year-old kid or a 17-year-old kid, if he's just turned up to the gym as a 17-year-old kid, right he's no different than that 12 year old kid because they're both green to the subject that's in front of them yeah. you know and so so the answer to that question is you can't tell you'd be an idiot to make an assumption and there's so many fighters out there in the world that never ever got a chance to, to get anywhere because the coaches were too busy looking at the wrong people and that kid ended up giving up and then become a bank robber or something 
<laughs> it's that bounce back ability, isn't it? It's that yeah. willingness to go, I've been knocked down and get back up, which is yeah. apt for the boxing world because yeah. you do get knocked down and back up so, so many times. Yeah. And then yeah. injuries. I, I know that, you know, what, your sons have probably had certain injuries as well. I think Mikey, when he fought Ortiz, he, he ended up with a fractured hip. And I think Lukey also had... Um, you know, some injuries in the lead up to his fight. So they've yeah. had to show that grit, the determination. I'm going yeah. to put you on the spot a little bit now, Val, with uh, a question. Because obviously you've got two sons who are still uh, elite performers and uh, at the, the, the top end of the game. I want you to think about a good or your most proud moment. So um, I don't know if you can have two. Um, yeah. We're happy. We're We're flexible. But... You know, if we're thinking about a good thing here, it could be what's your most proud thing regarding, you know, the boxing, the boxing development. So it could be from your perspective as a coach. Yeah. It could be as a father having two sons. But what what's the, the, the thing that you go, you know, I'm, I'm most proud of that. You know, that that's really good. People always ask me this same question. It's a regular question that gets asked to me. You must be proud of your, your kids. Yeah. I, and very rarely I'll step back and look at the situation and think, do you know what? I'm really proud because in my head, we're still trying to get there. Right. And it's not it's over. still evolving. It's yeah. over, yeah. So, so I am proud, but it's not. So I have to remind my son, my older son, mm-hmm. his dream is to fight in Fratton Park. Yeah? yeah. His dream is to fight in Fratton Park. My dream is for him to fight in Las Vegas. In yeah. one of the big ones for big money and earn himself some serious money, become a world champion. And then when you retire, you can have your farewell fight in Fratton Park if yeah. Fratton Park wants to do it. But what it is, is the people around him are all, he wasn't really a Pompey fan. But then yeah. when, he got into the, when he got into the boxing, started doing well, the Pompey Football Club got onto him. And then he's now become a massive fan. He goes away to the match. He's into football properly, you know, oh. which is which is great. He goes away to the matches and everything. He's, he goes on the pitch. He goes for meals with, and all this, that and the other. Mason Mounts, a friend of his, and all this, that and the other. So, so like, but what, but he also gets the local people, mm-hmm. which is the main importance of it all. And his dream is Pompey Pompey. And I says, Mike, no. Your dream is the world, you know. Charles Dickens came from Portsmouth, but people watching this podcast won't even know that, apart from Simon Millington. Yeah. But the reason that we know who Charles Dickens is is because he left this town to make himself famous. And he came back and made this town famous because he left this town. You have to go off and conquer the world to make where you come from famous. And isn't Bob Brunel, mate? You can't forget. Yes, you've missed him up. But you can't go to his house. You can't. Yeah, go to- yeah, yeah. That's you know, gone. Yeah. That's long gone. That's true. That's Peter Sellers. Peter Sellers. Peter Sellers. That's, yeah. that's yeah. on his restaurant yeah. now, isn't it? There's, there's yeah. a few guys down there. Because that, that's the thing. So if you're thinking, yeah, it's still a process. We still haven't achieved what we, we're going to achieve. But if we had to draw a line in the sand at the moment, what has give you that that moment? Because you must celebrate, you know, because it's an important yeah. part of the process as a, a coach. Because if you don't, it does become just meh, it's just all the time. So is there an element, uh, a, a period where you just went, you know what, when you sat back and reflect, you've gone, wow, yeah, that that is something. I'm really I'm really blown away with that. You know, right. something that you, you, you really 
really stings in your in your okay. mind sort of okay thing. okay one thing that stands stands in my mind so some people might not mean much but it meant a lot to me and this is with my older son so going on that same theory is we could all say that a lad that's turning every coach that you speak to that or promoter or manager that has a lad that's turning professional with them will always sing a big song about this lad's brilliant he's going to be this he's going to be that he's going to be this that's what box is all about you know whether you believe it or not they're going to say it yeah but the, i'll tell the truth mikey was always a good amateur but never quite beat those top lads and won the national he got robbed in the national final which his brother avenged the other week anyway there's another story yeah, yeah. But like but like he was always a good kid but it was only over three rounds it wasn't enough for him mm -hmm. and by the time the three rounds is over professional boxing you get to learn more about what you have in your soul mm -hmm. because the rounds is a 50 50 which amateur boxing is a 50 50 as well but when you start having your first 50 50s as a professional then you and you go in the distance and doing the rounds and you're getting caught and you're getting hurt and you haven't got an answer in that round and you come back and you need a bit of inspiration a bit of advice from your coach and then you go back out there and you lose the next round then all of a sudden it, something clicks in and it all starts to come together that's soul searching and you can be an amateur boxer with 300 fights the top level but you still haven't gone soul searching yet because mm. you haven't gone long enough to go a longer duration a, a man that's lasting three minutes in bed and a man that's lasting 45 <laughs> minutes in bed right come on who's the expert here in the in the in, in, in the sport of that come yeah. on and like there are plenty and plenty of uh of top class amateurs that have come from the top level that can't make it as professionals because once it's time to go soul searching, it's not for them, you know? And like, I'm going to go, when Mike got 10 fights, mm -hmm. he had his second 50, 50 fight. Right. But the second 50, 50 fight was against a really good kid. And to me, Mikey was confident. I was confident, but at the same time, this lab was a good kid yeah. undefeated as well. And we went all the way up to Swindon and we boxed for the WBC World Youth title. And this is it. It's like the first test of your boy, the first test of your fighter as a pro. Mm -hmm. Mikey, nine times out of 10, well, more than that, is taking you the distance. So, like, can he go the full distance with this lad and beat this lad who is a phenomenal puncher? So. Right. Mikey handled his first test with ease. I think he had one round where he lost his way. I think it would be like the eighth round, but I had a massive go at him and then he just went back to being taken control again. And the fighter lost his way. The fighter started to feel sorry for himself. And I remember being in the corner watching and thinking, you, this is, you were made for this, that you were born to do this. Mm -hmm. and, 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 and I have what's the word i've nurtured him mm -hmm. to be born for that not like waffle 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 all of a sudden i've got a big fight and i now i'm shitting myself and i'm a coach and i'm shitting myself as well because well, i've never been there in my eyes i'd been there hundreds of times when i was working on the tv shows and so my kids were always there as well mm -hmm. so when mikey went out there and done what he'd done when we waited for the decision the only thing that i thought was 
they're going to rob us because we got robbed in the amateurs. Good, yeah. Good amount of times against top quality lads. And when they held his hand up, that decision, that split second, they held his hand up and everyone just elated, jumped up in the air. There's a picture of me and I'm crying for about three or four seconds. Yeah. And then I held it together, but everyone got the picture and was like, ah, look, you were crying. But it was like the emotion, <laughs> like, you know what? This little fucker is starting to happen. The dream mm. is starting to happen. And then what happened after that, he just kept another title fight, he won that, another title fight, he won that. One of the one of the defences of his title was against a lad that was a, was a GB fighter. It was on uh, Fox Nation. And um, and he, he dropped the lad twice and absolutely schooled him. And the boy was an East End boy, and it was mm. in the East End of London. And it, the, everybody just went dead quiet. The what was his name again? Because I'm sure me and Dave were at that one. Yeah. Was he a West Ham boy? Yeah. Yeah. Sam McNess or something. Sam McNess. He's a red. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And um, no, he did box really well that day, actually. Yeah. yeah. He, it was it was coasty. He, yeah. he he looked like he was in control all the time. Yeah. So. Yeah. And he was pulling off little tricks and stuff, and they was working, which is frustrating him. And uh, and that was that. So at that sort of uh, that sort of time, it was just like. I was more elated from the first 10 round win, mm. um, Ryan Martin. I was more elated because the thing is, I knew that the things that we're trying in the gym, the things that we're working on, Mikey's got the ability to actually put that in the fight where a lot of people can do stuff in the gym, like pad work and certain things. And sometimes they can actually do it in sparring, but they can't do it, pull it off on the night. And then I was really, really, uh, I was really, confident in Mikey's ability coming out of the Ryan Martin fight and in all the other fights, because I knew that whatever problem that we've got to work on in the gym, i.e. to try and work out the key codes of beating his opponent, um, we can do that. And he can, he can, he can apply that in the heat of the moment. Mikey can apply these things in the heat of the moment. And when you look at good fighters, top level fighters, that's the type of thing they can do. Like a good fighter if he gets caught with a certain shot or he gets caught three times with a certain shot, whether his trainer has to tell him or he sees it himself, he has the ability to adjust and think, you ain't getting me with that one again. Boom, 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 boom. But some fighters haven't got that ability to do that. Uh, Mikey's got the ability to adjust in a fight. Um, he's very confident in himself. But that confidence being inst installed in him since he was a young kid. Mm -hmm. And I, I always say, Simon knows everything really, but, uh, about about most of the things about my life, nearly everything about my life, good and bad. Yeah, yeah. But like, I always believed that when I was sitting in the car one day and I was with someone, right, and the bloke was talking to me about he was a manager of a young snooker player that was from Portsmouth. Can't remember the bloke's name, but he was a phenomenal snooker player. And the bloke put a load of money into him and managing. And then he ended up in, in his championships and he ended up playing a big name bloke. Mm -hmm. And before the match, he went over and got the bloke's autograph, got him to sign something. Mm -hmm. And then completely smashed the bits and that was never the thing. I remember him telling me this and it stood, stood in my head and I thought, right, I've got two little kids here and I'm getting on these shows for nothing. So I'm going to smuggle my two little boys in. Thank you very much. Uh, Maloney promotions all those times. <laughs> like, like, 
and they weren't wanted. They weren't wanted, but they were smuggled in. Yeah. And they sat there and watched ringside. They came into the changing rooms and watched certain big names having their hands wrapped. They were always there at the weigh-ins watching and, you know, famous people go, all right, son, you're right, mate. Boom, boom. You know, Paulie Malinaji and people like that, Michael Buffer talking to him and, you know, Oliver Harrison, a great trainer. <clears throat> and uh, uh, people that are all building blocks for the confidence to make you understand that you have to respect these people, but understand they're only human beings that put all their heart and soul into it, where the mm. other man you never knew didn't. Yeah. That's why they don't know him. That's all they are, people that stuck to it and put their heart and soul into it. Be in respect for what they are and what they've done, but do never be in awe of anyone mm -hmm. because that's when you're fucked. I'd, picking up on, obviously, you've talked about confidence being so important and stuff like that. And as, as Simon was saying, like, um, you know, how you've taken both your sons and other boxers to, you know, you keep driving them on. But what do you do when, you know, that confidence is gone? So say, for example, one of your boxers loses, you know, you've got to pick them back up. Like what, how do you, you know, that must be really hard. Like how do you get them back up when, and where when, they got to when, be? When my boxer loses, I've lost as well. So it's, it's a shared emotion. Before this beginning of this podcast, I was talking about the single emotion that you have to yourself. Yeah. That's, but that's the fighter. He's going in doing it. But secretly, the emotion is shared by myself. So when they're upset, <laughs> upset and hurt about something, I'm upset and hurt about it as well because it's it's my sculpture has been <laughs> a problem that's happened to my sculpture. Mm. So the only thing you can do is have a little bit of time off, come back, discuss it, and then rebuild. And then hopefully that when you get back in the ring, you've pulled that, put that right again. The thing is in boxing, it's a little bit different because nine times out of 10, if you suffer a, a high level loss, you have to have rebuild fights where you're rebuilding the confidence, you're rebuilding, uh, uh, you're re rebuilding the confidence, rebuilding that uh, basically confidence in, in training camp and confidence in the ring. But also what you're doing is you're, you're, um, you're getting yourself ready for that level again. And it's like the level could be higher than the level that you lost at. Yeah. So, but it's a slow process of rebuilding again and trying new things out and trying things out that, that you might not have tried out before. Like for instance, if you watch the last few fights that Mikey's had, he's got a few stoppages and the reason why he's got stoppages is because you see I've got him standing and working now rather yeah. than sit, sitting off counter punching and, and being awkward and tricky and sliding left and sliding right. I've got him standing a little bit more and, and sitting on his shots a bit more. And I understand that he's not going to hit you. I'm a realist. I don't talk shit. So I understand that he's not going to hit you with one shot and put you to sleep. But what he can do is hit you with accumulated shots for accumulated amount of rounds until you can't take no more and you're going to fall apart because then boys are fit. They're fit. Mm. Yeah. And his brother as well just got a stoppage the other night with the same way of thinking. So yeah. they, they're both not one-trick ponies. We can adapt and change things. 
when sometimes I listen to like uh, interviews and they go, yeah, we watched him and he's mover and he's a slick mover and he's doing this and he's slick like his brother. Well, they're all going to understand, well, on Saturday, the, the other Saturday, that he's not just slick like his brother. He can stand and have a fight as well. So mm-hmm. be prepared because we can change things the other way around. So um, that gives you confidence. Them two lads now got confidence because they're trying other things. They're getting more success out of it. So the confidence is building higher. So, yeah. So with the um, the good, the bad and the ugly still, you know, we've had the ugly, which you said is the politics, the good, which is the proud moments with your son. Is there anything that's been a challenge or a bad point that yeah. you can think on and you think, well, actually, that was one of the biggest challenges I've had to face in this in this boxing arena, this 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 uh, this world that I inhabit. Anything there that you've got? I could pick several challenges because there's <laughs> always a there's always a problem, always yeah. a problem. But when you when you're faced with a challenge, you have to just relax and say, accept this is what's happened. What are we going to do to fix it? Rather than, oh, it's not going to help no one, is it? Do you know what I mean? And nine times out of ten, we've had fighters, we've trained for four months to to fight one of the most dangerous fighters in the world. And then we've gone to a few days before the weigh-in and the, the fight has collapsed in America. And then they're like, right, he's not fighting now. You're going to fight. Well, we've got eight different people. It's like, what? We've got eight different people. And like, you've only got like 48 hours to pick out who you got, who you want. And it's like, uh, uh, talk us through that in a bit more detail. Yeah, how do you give us a bit more? Because that sounds chaos. Yeah. Absolute chaos, mate. Absolute chaos. Names are getting pulled out of the app. We're starting not to trust things. We're in a different country. Like, what's going on here? And one, one, I don't want to say, one one, uh, opponent. Uh, they brought him over from Mexico in a car. Yeah. Brought him to a hotel room. Brought him to a hotel room. Asked me to go to the hotel room. And there's this big fat lad standing there in his pants, <laughs> getting on a set of scales. And I'm like, why did you bring him here? Drove him in from Mexico. Why did you bring him here? Look at it. And it, it was something like 14 pounds over. So that one never worked. You know, um, and then they were going to pull fights fighters off that was on the card and put it on with my with Mikey and that. But you know the way that he fights, if anything, it's the opponent that's got the hard work trying to solve him. Yeah. So you know we managed to get a fighter, uh, a skillful, durable fighter, and we managed to beat the lad. And uh, and then all the pressure was off. But the thing is, you're always going to get setbacks and problems. Injuries is a big one. Um, you know, COVID, someone's got COVID, fights cancel, you know, things like that. But the way that I look at it is, right, shit, we've got a problem, right, okay, what can we do to mend it rather than sitting there fucking crying and wasting time like that, you're not going to get nothing done, are you? So um, at the end of the day, sometimes as well, if I have a common one is a fighter that gets pulled uh, and it's two days before or a day before. Now, I won't tell my fighter that particular fight in America, it was high profile. So there's no way it could have been a secret. <laughs> but like on the normal shows, if a fight a fighter gets pulled, or one of my fighters is without a fight, I'll let him continue thinking that he's fighting that person while I'm trying to find a new opponent. 
And then I'll ring him when I've confirmed a new opponent or her, and I will say, your opponent's uh, didn't get in the country or he's failed this or whatever, but I've got your new opponent. So I've got the problem and I've got this problem solved straight away for you. So Because the fighter, you can't mess with the fighter's head. Yeah. You know, up and downs, they can't be doing with that, you know. What was that experience like when you did actually get to fight Ortiz then? You know, because yeah. that was a big show, you know, and, uh, well, you know, that was Razamatan. <laughs> no, but not you, the but, royal you know, way. Mikey, yeah. Yeah. You, you, yeah. yeah, the royal way, yeah, so yeah. The, the collective. Because that's that's got to be an amazing – because yeah. was it Oscar De La Hoya in and around that as well, you know, as the promoter? So, that you know, that's got to be one of your boyhood idols as well, Val, surely. No. No, no, Oscar De La Hoya, no. Uh, Oscar De Hoya, great fighter, and there's so many great fighters there. Great fighter of his generation, but he wasn't my idol. He's the same age as me, <laughs> so is he? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, but, yeah, but so my idols are people that when I was a young kid that I used to look up to and stuff. You know, like Ray Robinson, obviously Muhammad Ali, uh, domestic fighters like Lloyd Hunnigan, uh, Sugar Ray Leonard, uh, Roberto Duran. The fabulous four, Thomas Sands, come on, them type. Of, they're my idols. Um, like, but but like, Floyd Mayweather isn't my idol. Floyd Mayweather is is the greatest fighter of his generation. Mm. Ten years before that, it was Roy Jones, the greatest fighter of his, his generation. You can't ever put these fighters together and say who was the best. Um, but uh, Oscar La Hoya, tremendous fighter. Uh, I yeah. suppose then that, that environment. Because for people who don't get near that, me and Dave, you know, we're never yeah. going to be around World Championship Boxing. People listening won't be around World Championship Boxing. That whole experience being in and around that, you know, build up the the, the media coverage, you know, all those things. Because, you know, both your boys have been through um, that uh, and Sky and all that, that sort of pressure uh, and that insight and the intensity in that fight week lead up. So for that one, that Ortiz one, because wasn't that a uh, an eliminator? What was that an eliminator for? It was eliminated for the WBA world title. Wow. Yeah. WBA so what, what's that? You know, give us a little bit of insight into yeah, what well, that's how does that feel? <laughs> yeah. So they made the fight. It is obviously a high profile world class, uh, world class fight, but they at the at the weigh in they got news at the weigh-in that the WBA has made it into the final eliminator. Right. So we were like, <laughs> this is it. We're flying. But I'm also a realist. And it's like, if you lose the fight, we fall right down the peg and lose our rank as they get rid of us. Mm -hmm. You know? So that's the way boxing is. It's, it's up or down. There's nothing else. You know what I mean? And that's, when you get those great euphoric moments, they're ten times better than any buzz in the world. Any boxer will tell you that that's made it for the, made it a decent level. But when you lose, it's you're in the bottom, and this is why you see so many uh, well-known celebrity uh, boxers, famous fighters, when they got nothing, they 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 have to have uh, sort of uh, counselling and end up in uh, like uh, you know obviously having uh, counselling and stuff like that through mm. mental issues and stuff, because it's a terrible thing. It's a terrible thing to not be wanted anymore and and, uh, and to not get that notoriety that you used to having. It's, it's, it's a terrible thing. Mm. But 
um, uh, the euphoric moment, yeah, when they made that to the W, made it into the WBA final, eliminated that was it. And then when we uh, when we walked to the ring, Mikey walked to the ring by himself. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, I, I I I go to the ring before and set everything up. That's his moment. That's his time. That's his deserving uh, moment. And that's his. He, he can do what he wants with that time that he walks to the ring. But I remember watching and the Mexican, mostly Mexican supporters, yeah. um, great people. Um, they're very honourable people. Um, like when, after Mikey lost the fight, and I, and I stopped the fight, he was injured, got caught with a good shot to the body, it cracked his hip. He was moving to his right. He couldn't put pressure on his left side. And it, it was, it, and Ortiz is a fantastic puncher. Mm. Only going to delay the inevitable. I didn't want that, so I chucked the towel in at the right time. And I'm known for doing that at the right time. And I always got that towel in my hand. But the only time in Mikey's career ever that he's ever been stopped. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, the only time he's ever been dropped. So mm. you know, and, um, and that's that. So we can rebuild on that because it's only he doesn't show. Uh, he doesn't show uh, signs of frailness all through his career. When you're watching a fighter and you're stepping him up little levels at a time and they get clipped on the chin um, and he, he's never, his legs have never wobbled, he, t- he takes the shot well. If you watch the fight, Ortiz caught him with some good shots to the head. At the beginning, Mikey just shook his head at it like nothing. Yeah. And, um, and, and like, uh, but when we lost the fight, and we were leaving the ring. The crowd, uh, the, the the crowd were just on their feet, cheering as we left. And uh, very very honourable people. Um, I love the Americans. I love the Mexicans especially. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, they love their boxing. Um, and we've met some uh, we've met some friends on the way as well. Uh, Mexican uh, uh, people and. Uh, um, Texans, uh, people from California and that, that's still in touch, that's, that watched the fight and, you know, still, still talk to us and stuff like that. So we love America and um, we were, we, what's the word? We were, um, our reception was uh, second to none. We were treated very well. Uh, Golden Boy Promotions, one of the best promotions in the world. They treated us very, very well, looked after us. Um, and our plan is to try and get back on that world scene and back on the Golden Boy shows back in America and beat some of their lads and win a world title. Like at the end of the day, it's a dangerous sport. These lads are sacrificing their 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 life and their future for a, for a bit of money, you know, and and to, and and for a dream. And all I want out of all of my fighters is to get to the highest level that they could possibly get to and make as much money as possible and come out at the right time where they're all still intact and they've got their yeah. faculties intact. And, uh, and, and that's that. And um, I've had other fighters in the past um, that I've had some great, great times with and great emotional times with as well. And um, it doesn't really matter about the level. It matters about the moment and the the relationship that you've got with that fighter 
because I've had some amazing times on small little shows with uh, with with uh, certain fighters. I've had fighters that people writ off, and one time I had a fighter that rang me, and the amateur coach went, "Look, mate, you know what's the name is turning pro with you, and you know just want to say like you know look after him, you know basically you know doesn't <laughs> say the words and that, but I got the best out of that lad and brought it out in him. And he ended up winning a title with me and ended up fighting for a bigger title as well. And uh, I can only take my hat off to him. You know, if you can make someone better than what they already are, they're always going to have respect for you and you're always going to have respect for them because they listened. Mm. Yeah, I suppose. You want them to do. I suppose on the subject of your sons then, in terms of, you know, what what's what's the plans for them over the next six to 12 months? What? What 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 are they up to? I suppose sell us on what 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 they're going to be doing, so the people listening can actually follow them. Yes, hold on one second. I'm getting. You're not going to see me in a minute. Wait, they're too set. It's getting darker and darker. <laughs> there we go. There you go. It's better. Yeah. So uh no, it's not. Turn the light off. <laughs> yeah <laughs> the views got a lot worse yeah. yeah so 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 um what can i expect for the future um we're looking for uh mikey's with the right people um and uh we're looking for hopefully a world title uh this is what we're looking for by the end of next year we're hoping to have a world title fight, providing he keeps winning. And uh, Lucas, uh, hopefully in the near, very, very near future, we're going to um, hopefully Lucas will be making his debut on uh, major TV uh, on a very good fight. Um, so basically, yeah, big things are happening. So, yeah. Did Lukey fight on at the O2 once on an undercard though, Bell? Has he been on? Was that live on TV or? No, he boxed at uh, Olymp- boxed at London Olympia in Ells Court, ah, and yeah. it was it was on TV. It was on ITV, and it was uh, on the undercard of uh, Chris Eubank Jr. But mm. it it wasn't really. Uh, they never televised it. Ah, so so he, he wants headlining anyway, doesn't he? He wants to yeah. be top of the shop, and he's you got know, that doing... quality about him. He's good for the TVI. Um, yeah, and uh, so even though he did box on that, he he was on the undercard. They put they actually put Chris Congo on the mm. undercard fighters. They put him on the TV, and nobody else got on the telly. Lucas sold a ton of tickets as well. It's yeah. a bit of a mistreat that one, but um, me and Dave were in Spain actually when uh, Mikey fought Congo. Uh, so in Gibraltar, yes. Dave got married yes. in Gibraltar. I, yeah. I was yeah. just up the road. So yeah. uh, COVID, we'd have loved to have got over there and yeah. watched that live. Yeah. That would have been strict. amazing. At that particular time, it was very, very strict. They were allowing mm. the um, the people from uh, Gibraltar that had the two jabs could go to the arena. Yeah. But we weren't, we weren't allowed off the boat. So um, we weren't allowed off the boat. But I'll tell you another great moment. Just so happened, it was just me... Mikey and another coach, right? And that was just our team that was on that was going. And mm. you had like the Congo team, Dillian White, uh, 
uh, the big names. And we were there and it was like we were being drowned in all these big famous names. And then when we got to the boat, I got a Facebook message off a bloke that was in the Navy. And he said, oh, there's about 10 of us here from Pompey, all Navy blokes. Right. Yeah. And then um, they were like, if you need anything, if you need anything like buckets or anything like that. After day four, I was dying for a, 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 a whole nut bar. <laughs> because we were stuck on this boat yeah and it was all the food was good it was a five-star boat but we weren't allowed off and i just wanted a fucking whole nut bar and um and uh and i got i got it smuggled onto the boat <laughs> and, uh, and then at the last minute as well we needed a couple of buckets and that and lab one of the buckets but the night before the fight um because they're all allowed because when we're all stuck on the boat you can hear everyone partying and clubbing yeah, there's pubs and bars right beside it, isn't it? It's yeah, like literally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And um, we're on this boat, it's nighttime. I'm walking across the deck and I could hear, there's only one Michael McKinson. And I thought, no, it can't be. Nah, it can't be. And then, like, the next day, uh, Mikey's played it on uh, Facebook that loads yes. of lads were drunk, like Navy blokes, all shouting and screaming. So even though there wasn't, it was me- it was meant for us to win, to be truthful, because we were the only people that actually had a, a crowd of people cheering for us because we just so happened to come from Portsmouth and it just so happened to be a load of Navy lads that were on the, <laughs> that were there serving there. So, you know, it was all good at the end of the day. We had a lot, we had a lot of people cheering us and stuff. But um, well, that was another great show. That was a good fight, you know, because Congo obviously thought he was going to, you know, boss that. He came yeah. in, but the, the plan um, seemed to be executed really well. Yeah. And uh, Mikey caught him early because that's one of yeah. his traits in fights, isn't it? Is is putting someone on the deck quite early, Quickly. and then you know. But actually, the last two fights, you know, I saw the one on Rome online, and then the one that was on Sky most recently. Like you said, you have got him to stand a little bit more yeah. uh, and trade, which is, is also quite exciting as well. Because uh, I have always enjoyed his boxing because I like boxers getting in and out. But mm. actually now. Uh, trading a little bit of leather closer in it does show his ability to do that as well mate so mm-hmm. um i, I think it, yeah it, it was impressive to watch that fight so we're, we're not far off now you know coming to the end i know uh we've got a couple more things for you so dave what would you like to say well i was going to say we we just talked about i suppose your hopes and dreams for your sons what's What's your hopes and dreams for the future? We've talked a lot about where you've come from, but I suppose where do you see yourself, you know, even in five, ten years' time, I suppose? I want a bit... Uh, <laughs> yeah. We're putting you on the spot here. No, I know what to say, but I don't know if I should say it. But, like, uh, I just... I want to have all my kids around me. I want to be able to see all my children. And... I want to have a bit of money yeah, and a, and a nice little house somewhere abroad yeah. where I can live happily ever after. And my kids can always come and have a holiday and come and visit their old dad. Yeah. You know, and that, that, that's a nice, you know, a nice mm. thing, isn't it? It's, it's mm. family is most important. And I think mm. yeah. the, the boxing element, you know, you've had that family, you've got a, a large family uh, and, you know, being surrounded by them, you know, I think everyone's in agreement that, you know that that's that's the dream. You know, having yeah. that lovely family unit where you share good times with each other, because ultimately, it's family that makes life worthwhile. 
Mm, and yeah. you know you've got lots of rich experiences through your family and it's mm. only just beginning uh mm. so i think that the the fighting element definitely from the boxing is what we focused on tonight but we know yeah you know there's a lot more because you all the rest of your children are daughters <laughs> yeah they're daughters yeah and um a, a lot of them are, are guided by their mothers and i don't really get a say in it but um uh but also i have got a little daughter mm. little irish daughter okay yeah and yeah. uh she promised me she said dad I'm gonna... <laughs> <laughs> so we could have someone in katie taylor's mold you know ah. in the future potentially all, all the genetics mate the genetics. <laughs> yeah it's jamaican <laughs> Well, we're, yeah. we're coming to the end there, mate. And we always want to ask guests coming on. So you're the first one. So you're the first person I'm going to ask. If you were to suggest a guest that you think, you know what, there'd be an interesting person to get on and have a conversation with. Is there anyone you think we should have a chat with yeah. uh, beyond? Or alive. Uh, Dead or alive. Um, no, it's got to be alive because we want to actually yeah. chat to them. They've got to be able to speak, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a dream one sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's not your dinner party guest. It's not the no, one no. that you would have at the dinner party. We're not that classy. To, no, no, no. Yeah. <laughs> to have, to talk to. There's two people. Okay. Oh, no, no, no. Any subject. Any subject. Any this subject. is what this yeah. is all about. It's about yeah. getting everyday people to come on and chat about their experiences and help us understand, you know, human nature and what people go mm. through. And, you know, we've got great insights today from the boxing world. Yeah. So we're just looking to broaden that and speak to as many different people. It could be a boxing person. It could be something completely different. You know, we're open to just having conversations. Yeah, it could be anyone you've that you've experienced in life that you think could... Bring something watch, to the table. I watch a lot of, I watch a lot of podcasts. Yeah. Mm. Watch a lot of podcasts. And um, I like to watch the crime podcasts. Um, just the way people live their lives. And everybody's always got the same finishing article agenda. Is <laughs> yeah. It was all for nothing. Yeah. Right. It was all for nothing. You know? And... um no matter who it is, no matter what they've done, the same thing. They come out of the prison, they've done a big, massive bit of time and that. They get to a certain age and it's like, where's my mates? Where's my missus? Where's all, you know, everyone's gone. No money, nothing. And um, one of the most capturing podcasts I've ever watched is Marvin Herbert's. I think you shared that one with me. Yeah, yeah. it's a good one. Good one. Yeah. And uh, so if anyone that uh, can share a great story, it's him. There's other good yeah. lads as well out there as well, but Marvin Herbert's stories uh very, very gripping from start to the end. Unbelievable. Yeah, and he does a lot of work going back into prisons to try and help people yeah. as well now, doesn't he? Yeah, to, to the community. You know, yeah, to the community. Ho hopefully get them to awesome. go the other way because I, I think – they will listen to people who've been there, seen it, done it. Uh, mm -hmm. And, you know, he's definitely got the T-shirt, hasn't he? Because, mm -hmm. um, you know, the things he's been through, he, he lives with them on a daily, you know, mm -hmm. just uh, getting shot in the penis, I think, is the thing that I remembered most from that yeah, podcast video. Um, you know, so he was very fortunate that that bullet stopped uh, in his eye. You know, that yeah. was amazing. It was just yeah. like, I'm, 
another one, Mark Prince. Okay, who's Mark Prince? Uh -huh. uh, you know, Mark Prince is uh, he's an uh, unbelievable man. Um, his son got killed, and uh, uh, I don't know what uh, they've named the this football stadium after his son, Kyan Prince. Oh, yeah, QPR. Yeah, he yeah. was stabbed outside um, yeah. school, wasn't he? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But he's such a great guy to talk to, and he's just got a presence about him, you know, like, and uh, he's just got that tone of voice that when he starts talking, everyone just go quiet and listen to what he's got to say, mm. you know, yeah. and um, another great guy with a, a very sad story, but um very positive person yeah yeah because yeah, that is got to be one of the most distressing things ever um yeah. you know yeah. to then find the resolve and the strength to come back from that and turn it positive like you said yeah. those setbacks and get to a place where you, you you can still get on with life even though you've had that yeah. and uh contribute to it and try and make it better for other people yeah. which is obviously what he's trying to do yeah. it, it's amazing so, mate, we're, we're going to finish with one final thing, and uh, we're going to ask our guests for a quote that they live by or they find inspiring. So uh, at the start, just before we came on air, we asked you to think about this. Um, so, And you said, I've got it. I've got it straight away. I don't even yeah. have to think about it. So what was it? What was the, was the thing yeah. that you would like to share with everyone who's listening? Now, whenever I say this to people at the beginning, some people don't get it mm -hmm. if you don't get it you don't get it but there's a parallel with your personality and your boxing personality it's the same thing yeah and this goes like this it's very short and sweet it's be careful how you fight your fight because the way you fight your fight can be the way you live your life okay uh, yeah yeah very good that's you very know, good I like yeah that. very profound yeah. as well I think we've just got the title for the uh, the, the podcast. <laughs> yeah, just... <laughs> that, that'll be that'll be in the the, the the show notes for sure, mate. Yeah. Well, well, look, it's it's been amazing spending this yeah. uh, hour for... and a bit with yeah. you and mm -hmm. um, having a conversation and getting insights into the professional boxing world and mm -hmm. what it takes to actually not just get there but stay there. And yeah. you know, as you quite rightly said, it's not finished. You know, you, you and your, your team, you've still got quite a long way that you want to go in regards to what you achieve as a collective. It takes a lot to impress me. It takes a lot yeah. to impress me. If, I, if I'm jumping up and down all the time going, you're all amazing, you're brilliant, then you're going to start thinking you are amazing when you're yeah. still be amazing. Be stingy with your praise. That's the yeah. thing. Be stingy yeah. with your praise. Because yeah. then at least when you do give it, they know they've earned it. Mm. They've earned it, yeah. yeah. You know, so, mm -hmm. mate, thank you very much. I know, yeah, Dave. Thank you. Uh, it's been a real say. insight. Obviously, we're boxing fans, but anyone that's been listening to it that isn't interested in boxing, the insights you've given us here are brilliant. So thank you very much. And uh, and the insights on the boxing side of it was just incredible because, as Simon said, this, you don't get access to that normally. So thank you very much for sharing all of that. No problem at all. And thanks for having me. And thanks for giving me the opportunity to uh, air my th thoughts to you all, guys. <laughs> no, thank you. All right, Excellent, you Mike. All the best, mate. And uh, we'll catch up soon. See you later, mate. Bye-bye.